Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the 25 Live. I'm Jim Bernica, and with me this week is my old friend Mark Ryan, a recently retired Columbus firefighter. Uh, he has a, a great, impactful story. I know I'm setting you up right there, Mark. I apologize. That's all right. But, uh, but uh, you know, I've I've seen him uh, talk about cancer prevention. I've te- I've seen him talk to uh, my my rookies in Dayton, and I think it's um, important enough of a message to where, you know, we get on this podcast and we share it with our listeners. So, thanks again for making the time to be on here, Mark. I, I really do appreciate it. But uh, if you will, uh, I'm just going to kind of just throw it right to you. Like, how did you end up in this firefighter cancer world? Uh, well, Jim, first, thanks for, you know, even thinking of me and having me on the show. Um, you have a lot of impressive people on your show, so it's, it's nice that you even think of me on that level. And I just want to say thanks to anybody that's listening right now. It shows that you're taking an interest in your own career and whatnot. So, um, you know, my, my introduction to it was um, probably like a lot of people. I mean, you just didn't see it coming. Um, you know, I was a, a, a career guy at Columbus. I was, I was working at my dream station, um, you know, doing my thing. Felt fantastic. I was 30 just turned 30 years old. Well, yeah, just turned 30 years old. Felt really good. Um, I always tell everybody, honestly, I was probably in the best shape of my life at that point. And, um, you know, it was my wife. My wife has a nursing background. She's an RN, um, which a lot of people probably want to check on now. It seems like every firefighter is either married to a teacher or a nurse, but uh, me, me included. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it may, you know, it's, I don't know. We just all kind of think like that, but, uh, you know, it was one day getting out of the shower and my wife noticed a spot on my back. And I mean, literally, that's what got the ball rolling. Um, and we we had discussed it with both of our background, discussed what could be, what should be, most likely is not. It, I have no idea. It's a, As a firefighter, you never look at your back. It's just not what we do. Uh, and as far as my career, um, even in Columbus, such a, a large department like Columbus, nobody had ever talked about skin dangers. So I really didn't think anything about it until you know that day i was in a doctor's office and they knew right away i mean they knew within a matter of seconds um that we were in some serious trouble right away so that's really how it happened uh it was it was really a surprise so you you went to the the dermatologist yeah you, fi- you yeah. finally gave in to the wife and said all right fine i'll go if, you, if it means you can leave me alone i'll go get it checked out yeah and it's funny that it's funny that you mentioned that um, because that's exactly how it went. Uh, literally, there's a lot of bantering, uh, a lot of really um, bad fireman jokes included in. I'm, I mean, I'm talking over a month, a, t- a time of a month of her talking about it, asking about it, and then me finally giving in, even to the point where like I, I wasn't even going to look for a doctor. I was like, if this is really, really what you want me to do. You better find somebody because I ain't got time for that. I mean, that was my attitude. Um, and he's honestly, to this day, it, it was luck of the draw um, because I still see the same dermatologist to this day. He's actually a close friend now. Um, and I credit him, not that I don't appreciate, you know, the James at Ohio State, but I actually credit him more uh, with saving my life and giving me the time that I have now more than I do so them because he literally, within 10 seconds of me taking my shirt off, he knew we were dealing with something really, really serious. Um, even to the point of before I left his office, you know, I've already, I've already got a team of skin cancer, you know, really specialists at Ohio State waiting on me. I mean, that's how fast it happened. I don't think people realize, you know, in the cancer world, um, by the time certain cancers progress to a certain point, uh, you don't have time to wait. 
and, and it's so important to act so fast. I think that's you. You asked the question, how did I get involved in the cancer world? That's why I got involved. Um, I didn't have to get involved. I could have just dealt with my own stuff. I could have tried to handle it on my own. But I learned so many things um, that were so important to me. They were important failures to me. And I cared so much, not just about my own guys at my firehouse and my department, but literally just the fire service in general. Um, that I was like, you know, my wife and I remember looking at each other and, and you're like, you got to do something, you know, and the hardest part, I think, for me was just sharing the story and making myself vulnerable, um, which was very difficult. But it came down to the point where it's like, I don't have a choice um, because of the experiences I went through, because of the very relatable argument, you know, argument that I went back and forth with my wife over and over and over, uh, just not wanting to go to a doctor, which I think most firemen uh, relate to that, to how the doctors reacted to the surgeries, to the treatments, um, to the way it affected me professionally as well as personally. Um, and honestly, it's something so simple. There, that's why I say it was, it was very important failures because what it did is it revealed how simple prevention really can be. Um, and I didn't know of anybody that was doing a prevention side of it. So it really just laid on my heart to share that. And I, you know, I never demanded anybody do anything. Uh, you've seen me speak multiple times. I've been across the country uh, sharing my message, and I've never demanded anybody do anything. But what I've always done is I've always laid it out there that at the end of the day, the only blame you can have is yourself. Because once you're educated, you can't point fingers anymore. You either react or you didn't. I mean, and that's the choice we all have to make. So that's really kind of the, the short and the sweet of how it got started and, and where I decided to take it. Um, but there's a lot more meat left on that bone. I mean, there, we could talk these stories for days, Jim. Sure, sure. But, uh, you know, Mark, what year were, were you, uh, when was this all, when this happened? Um, so my diagnosis was um, September 11, 2012. 2012. So, okay. Yeah. See, and I, I can, going back into my history of how long we've really been talking about this, I don't think we really, really, truly was this on the radar until probably the last probably five years to where it was okay to talk about it. There were some people talking about it, but for the most part, it was still taboo. So, Well, I'll tell you a, a very controversial story. So in 2013, yes, fall of 2013, I got a call from the then local 67 president, Jack Reel. And he said, hey, I want, I want you to come down to the local. He goes, and I'm going to have a meeting set up with the OAPFF. I said, okay. He goes, and they have, you know, these guys that work at the state house, you know, they rub elbows with all the politicians. He goes, I want you to basically share your story. And he goes, and I want, he goes, all the work I know that you're doing at home, Jack and I, Jack was my battalion chief before he became a big, big chief and all this stuff and whatever. So Jack and I had a personal relationship. So Jack's like, I want you to come down and, and tell them, you know, what you think needs to happen and share your experience. I said, Absolutely. So I'm in a room, and I won't name names from the OAPFF, but I'm in a room with these guys, and every single one of these guys told me, A, I'm wasting my time, it'll never happen, and they'll never get behind it. That's from our own OAPFF. And I won't cuss on your show, but I'll tell you this. I looked at all of them and just gave them a big F you. I'm going to do this anyways. And for a few years following that, this is no, this is no lie, this is no exaggeration. For a few years following that, I got nothing 
I got nothing from them except for honestly, uh, roadblocks. They were zero help. And if they did anything, they tried to deter me. Um, constantly giving me phone calls saying, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't go on the news media and do this, you can't do that. And I basically told them, you can't tell me what to do, period. I don't work for you. I don't do anything for you. These are facts. This is what I'm sharing. Everything that I've said is factual. And I, what I did is I basically took a stick of dynamite inside the swamp of the cancer presumptive world in the state of Ohio, and I lit it. And I wasn't going to be told no. I didn't care if it came from our people. I didn't care if it came from their people. And that's exactly what I did. So, well, you know, I was there. Well, no, I don't want to say I was there, but I was on the outside for a lot of that whole process. Being our fourth try in Ohio trying to get yeah. cancer presumptive, which is, it was common, I think, around in all these other states. And now, and now finally we're to the point where I believe it's all but two states and all but one Providence has some toward some sort of cancer presumption. Yeah. So I do believe, um, I, I can absolutely see that, where you were that stick of dynamite. You were, um, I don't know. I mean, I saw you speak at the state house several times. Uh, very, very powerful, very moving. I mean, you were, uh, I know it's uh, called the Michael Lewis Palumbo Jr. Act, but yeah. uh, you were right up there as well as far as the, you know, the face of this whole state. Well, the, um, the and I don't mean any disrespectful to the Palumbo family. Um, you know, they were great down the stretch. They were fantastic. Really, you know, and I was approached um, before they named it, renamed it and asked how I felt about that because obviously they, they were going, they wanted to give me the naming rights. But by that point in time, everybody involved knew I did not want them. Um, I, that's not what this was about. I didn't, I didn't need my name attached to it. I didn't, I didn't want anybody to be the poster child, Jim. I mean, you, you've been around me enough to know that that's not what I see. Um, no, you're, and, you're like the, uh, the almost like, I don't know, Batman or something. You're there. And then he just disappear. Like nobody, yeah. like, where the yeah, hell did he go? Actually, I didn't even get to say goodbye to Mark. It's surprise a lot of people. It's it's so surprising to a lot of people um, who've actually listened to me speak. I'm very uncomfortable, and I get really I get a ton of anxiety um, being in front of big crowds. And most people are like I never would have thought that. Um, and it it just yeah, it's really hard on me. Um, just I don't know why from from just anxiety standpoint. So I like to get in, get out. Um, it's just how I operate. But when they said something about Palumbo, I said, it's fantastic. Number one, I knew that his fight was going to be harder. Um, his cancer was not one of those normal cancers that we were looking into. Um, his wife and kids were in a battle against the, the state at that time. You know, he was very nearing death. Um, so I knew it would get even harder, um, you know, once he passed away. So I was like, that to me, from a, strat a strategy movement, was perfect. And, I, and that's when they asked me, they said, what do you think about us doing this? I said, that's a fantastic idea. Just roll with it. Not, not only is he very deserving, um, but if I could have done anything to honor his family and hope, you know, and honor his, his family, not just his wife and kids, but also like his mother, his father, his brother, they're all involved. Sure. Um, to do anything to help them through the process, I'd have done it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. So, you know, speaking of this state law, we finally get it um, enacted uh, after, again, four tries, I think a decade's worth of work. And uh, we have our Ohio State uh, Cancer Presumptive Law. Yeah. And, 
you know, part of that, I, I always, this always uh, annoys me and I'm sure it annoys the shit out of you as well. And I know I just cussed, but I mean, shit's not that bad, is it? Yeah, no. Well, I no. never know. So I never know who our audience is. Uh, I, I, I think we're okay. We are, I mean, they're mostly firefighters. So, you know, this is actually me on my best behavior. Uh, you know, as at least my crew would probably say. Anyway, I digress. So, um, you know, part of this whole bill was uh, this law. We're going to have, after two years, the BWC is going to conduct a report that says this is how much money we spent. Um, this is how many claims were allowed. This is how many claims were disallowed. Yeah. And you know, ultimately, again, the big thing was the money. And yeah. the idea was we wait two years. We see where we're at. And if we need to change anything, we'll look at it at that time. Mm-hmm. Two years, right? Yep. Uh, I believe they waited 41 days before they they changed everything. They added the um, uh, the uh, the how is it uh, the medical care that you know you can have. Basically, they can get the cities and townships can get a doctor that says uh, your cancer is from this and this. It's not from the fire service. Correct. They added yeah. that, and then they took and this was this was pretty good as far as the 20 years after you retire. And I don't think there's anybody that had it that, that long uh, up to the age of 70. And they yeah. knocked that 20 years down to 15, 41 yeah. days later. So they didn't even give it a chance to see how it was going. And then uh, we've realized, you know, we have a house bill in right now to try to change the way uh, to make it to where the cities and townships and municipalities, if they fight this stuff now, um, you know, they're fighting it because it's going to hurt their bottom line. It's going to come out of their pocket. It's going to come out of their BWC stuff. They're trying to get it to where it's out of the BWC surplus with the idea of not everybody fighting you. Um, yeah. And kind of speak, going right into that, City Columbus fought you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it, what most people don't understand, I think as firemen, that we struggle with this. Um, and I'll just, I'll lay the groundwork like this. So I, I spent the first 10 years, you know, as a firefighter paramedic, um, you know, really doing what we all want to do, being on the street, helping people, you know, honestly living our childish dreams as adults. I mean, that's, that's what we do. Um, and then my last five years I spent in an office. And it was those five years, I tell people this all the time, if I had to do that my whole life, A, I would have never became a fireman, number one. And number two, working with administration will make you hate the fire department. I mean, and I mean quickly, um, because you realize really fast that once so many bugles get put on that collar, they're, they, they forget about being a fireman, and now they're these, I call them amateur politicians. And then they start working directly with the politicians of, you know, the city officials, wherever that is, may you may work. And most firemen struggle because it's later in their career, usually around the time where they're retiring or it's around the time where something like this devastating happens, where you think that you're going to lean on this municipality that you literally are giving life and limb for. I mean, you would die for them. Um, You wear your colors and your badges and, you know, whatever insignia you have, you wear that with the ultimate pride. Um, your family wears those with the ultimate pride. Um, that's who we are. And then what happens is you find out all you are is really, you know, employee 1-001. That's all you are. And it's devastating. Um, I've had so many firemen, and this is before I retired, came into my office the last roughly three years, and they're all, they're all jumping ship. 
and I mean full-on grown firemen, legends in our, our trade, crying and sobbing because they've now realized that they have put so much time and effort to make their truck the best truck that it could be. And tomorrow they're just going to replace them with any knucklehead and they could care less. That is exactly, those emotions are exactly what I went through because you're thinking the whole time, my battle is going to be the BWC. My battle is going to be these people that don't know anything about our job, that can't relate and understand our job. And I'm going to have to beat them into the ground. And at the end of the day, they were the supportive ones. They were the easy ones. Because when you're going through this process, even with cancer presumptive, it's a three-party process. It's you and your lawyer, it's the BWC, and then it's the municipality. And you've got to figure out how that works. There are times where the BWC will say, yes, we approve this. And then there's a 14-day you know, period, and the city comes in. I mean, the city, I don't know how many times. I went to court 19 times, and the city challenged me every time, multiple times. To all those um, looking for anything and everything. And there were multiple times where, you know, they would challenge you on something that they knew they were wrong on just to delay you. And in cancer world, delays, I mean, delay, a delay is life and death. Um, and it, it just, it's really, it's unbelievably frustrating um, when you think about what we do for a living, when you think about what you risk every day leaving your home leaving your children and, and your spouse and going into work. And at the end of the day, you're thinking, hey, I can depend on these people. And the truth is you can't. You honestly can't. And as much as your chief tells you he loves you, as much as your officer tells you he loves you, they're powerless at the end of the day. They are absolutely powerless when it comes to this type of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it's very disheartening. And I mean, my story, my story is honestly a happy story. If you start comparing yourself to some of these other firefighters from, you know, like Norwich Township or even Dayton Township and some of the the nightmares they'll tell you about they've been through. I mean, it's not just the big departments, even these little departments um, where you, you feel like you really have a personal, personal connection. Everybody knows everybody. Um, at the end of the day, it's a dollar sign and, and they don't want to cost themselves dollars. So it's quite disheartening. Wow. That's, uh, it is disheartening. And I've seen it even on my department where um, they're going to fight anything and everything. Um, it's all about the bottom line and you are a number. So, I mean, you summed it up quite perfectly. Well, Jim, I'll tell you a, a quick story. You know, the, the craziest part about this is, is, is like I said, when you, it's, it's you and your lawyer versus the two separate, you know, municipalities, the VWC and whatever, uh, city that you're working for a village or whoever, <laughs> the crazy part is, is you as a cancer patient are seen in, in the most, in your mind, the best of the best physician. This physician is literally in charge of your treatment and this treatment, they're trying to save your life. I mean, that's, that's black and white. So you've, you've put a ton of trust in these people. And during this entire process, uh, every firefighter that goes to this process, the BWC and the city is going to ship you all over the state of Ohio, seeing every Tom, Dick and Harry in every back corner alley, um, who I, you know, for most of them, I think they went and got their, you know, MD on some, you know, six week course online. And these are the people that are presenting arguments against your physician. And I mean, we're talking against physicians from MD Anderson, against physicians from John Hopkins, uh, the Ohio State, the James University, the Cleveland Clinic. And they're adding more value to, you know, Dr. Seuss 
from, you know, Podunk, Ohio, who doesn't even have a background in oncology. And that's the argument they bring into the courtroom. I mean, so when you talk about the lengths that these people are willing to go, it's not even the money at the end of the day. It's the fact that they're they're honestly willing to lie to themselves to save a buck. And it's it's honestly it's embarrassing. It really is. It's embarrassing. Um, now, I, now, I've never been the guy that'll say every firefighter gets cancer automatically gets presumptive and it automatically happen from being a firefighter. That's just not true. And I've never preached that. And anybody who ever listened to me knows I don't preach that. But the reality is, is if you're coming from a professional oncologist, a person who dedicated their life to the study of cancer, and that doctor is saying, this is how they got this. This is what they've experienced. This is what all the testing and everything is telling us. This is your, and this is how they say it. This is most likely the cause. I think at the end of the day, it's a slam dunk. Why waste everybody's time? Sure. Part of, part of my problem with the whole process, Mark, is, you know, here you are, you're told you have stage four cancer, yeah. for example, and you're, you're fighting literally for your life and you, and you want to be, you want to be there. You're young at this time. I mean, yeah. you got a wife and was it, was it four or five kids? Five. Yeah, five, five kids, children. five children. And that should be where you're able to concentrate all your energy on is getting better and being there. And instead, you're always pulled to the side 19 times. Yeah. That's insane. Well, it's it's not even it's not even that. So you think cancer in itself is stressful. I mean, I've been living with it now uh, seven, seven years and a few months, um, which is, you know, Jim, at the end of the day. That in itself is a blessing. I mean, I, I was given less than 12 months to live. I mean, that's a true story. They looked you right in the face and said, you know, you, you've got really 10% chance of even making it through the year. You know, and at the time, our youngest was eight months old. She doesn't even know who her dad is yet. I mean, so the, all that in itself, you want to talk about carrying the weight of the world, not just on my shoulders, but then having to watch my wife go through that experience. And then you're not working. Um, I was very, very fortunate. You know, I worked with, you know, guys who I consider family. And for the first year between my sick bank and trades, I mean, we always had a paycheck coming in. You know, I wasn't able I wasn't able to do anything. So I was very fortunate in that regard. But I know a lot of guys that don't even have that. Uh, they don't even have that ability to pull that off. And some departments don't even allow it. And it just breaks my heart for them. So when you add the, the anxiety of going through cancer, cancer treatment alone, you know, you know, this medicine is supposed to save your life, but when you're going through it, you feel like it's killing you. Um, and then you have to worry about, you know, who's going to pay the mortgage and how are we going to buy groceries? And, you know, how are we going to pay for, you know, the kids glasses and braces and all these things? I mean, I don't think they understand. Honestly, I don't think they're compassionate to that effect of that side of it. And no matter how many times you tell them, they, they refuse to relate to it. Um, yeah, I mean, I sat in a court hearing the one the one day, and there's only out of the 19 times, I can only think of maybe three or four times where they allowed me to talk, which is even ass nine. But finally, uh, you know, the one judge had ruled in the city's favor. Um, they ruled in the city's favor on some bull, bull crap saying that basically my cancer was not um, preventing me from being a fireman, which, and I, I can explain to everybody the depths of my cancer. 
And my lawyer just gasped. I mean, he just gasped at that. He couldn't believe that they rolled that way. So they're saying I can go back to work full time, which for me, I would have loved to have gone back to work full time. My oncologist let me go back to work for full time one time for three months. I ended up back in the hospital for a total of nine days. So at that point in time, she's like, there's no way I would send you back in that environment. So then we had to go see another judge after we had to appeal that. And we're sitting there and the judge goes, Mark, do you have anything to say? And I just looked at the judge and I said, judge, do you have any children? And he goes, actually, I do. I said, now put yourself in my shoes. I said, then I'll ask you, do you have anything to say? And he said, enough said. That's literally all I said. Wow. That's all I said. I just, that's I said, all you should need. To, my shoes. That's all you need to say. Yeah. I'm like, why are we talking about this? Why are we even talking about this? I mean, they had a, they sent me to a physician. I mean, I have, I have a tumor at the base of my spine to this day. And currently here I am. Um, you know, I'm sitting in my daughter's bedroom right now just because she's not at home. She's at school. But my, my right leg is permanently cramped up. So I walk with a limp. My left side from my dick to my hip to my foot is completely numb. And they, they're telling me that I, I can go back to working at Station 8, Medic and Engine 8 in the city of Columbus full time. No issues. I don't, I don't even, I, I couldn't even understand it. And I tried to explain to people, you know, that would be a dream come true for me. Like that would be a dream come true for me. I mean, um, from an emotional standpoint, as emotionally hard as it was to sit down and discuss this with my wife and my kids and, and watch them cry and listen to me cry and, and think about leaving them behind. It was not, it was not far behind the day I had to go clean my locker out. I mean, that was like, I can only, I can only relate it to the way I felt when I was first diagnosed. I mean, I sat there and sobbed. So yeah, you telling me I can go back to work people. I want nothing more than that. But the reality is my body would never allow that. Number one. And number two, do you even know what we do for a living? Like how, how careless would that be of me to put my brothers and sisters in that position? I mean, you people are freaking nuts. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, much. That's, dude, that's, uh, that's the stuff that didn't make the newspaper. <laughs> I don't know how, and this is just me, I think, as being a good human being. I, I couldn't do any of that stuff. I couldn't, no. I couldn't, I couldn't respond from that side of things. It's, it's, I'm not programmed that way. I would never be programmed that way to where... I think it's okay to treat humans like this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so, you know, I, I, t people always ask me, I get, I mean, to this day, Jim, I get phone calls and, you know, I never turn away a phone call. Um, my, my cell phone number is, it, it's everywhere. Um, and people call me directly on my cell phone. It rings, I answer it and I try to get the best advice I can. And the saddest part is when it comes to this, you know, the first question is not what doctors and surgeons do you use? It's who's your lawyer? Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, my wife and I, I mean, we just, I retired August of 2018. So this upcoming August will be two years since I retired and literally three, what is today? Yeah. Three days ago, I just completed my BWC, you know, city of Columbus, um, saga. It just got done. 
I mean, when, and you're talking, when when do you think you started that claim? Oh, um, it was a month after the. Well, I, let me take that back. The the original paperwork and claim started in 2015, <laughs> but the real push started a month after presumptive was signed. So when that was January of yeah. 17, I think. Yeah, once. So once we're almost we had, almost three years in. Yeah, yeah. Once we had um, substantial like stepping blocks, you know, complete A, you get to B, complete B, you get to C. Then we started making the push. And then honestly, uh, I'll be—I mean, I'll be frank with you. At that point in time, um, the BWC was nothing but helpful. In the city of Columbus, it was—it was literally, you know, Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa. We're taking this fifteen rounds. <sighs> All right. And you know what they always said? Well, here's you want to. OK, here's craziness. My, I have the greatest lawyer. My wife and I said we'd pay him double whatever he charged us. He is unbelievable. I love him to death. He made the process as easy as he could have made it. Even the city prosecutors are telling him behind closed doors. They're all in favor for this. And it's not them. So the, <laughs> the people that are defending of the city are on our side and they're working for us. Is it well? Hey, we keep, then maybe we keep telling them they're like they have them. a heart. They actually yeah, have they a heart. Do. They're like, look, the evidence is on his side. Like every time you send us to court, we're going to lose. Because at the end of the day, nineteen case hearings. I don't know how many total court appearances. I never lost. They're like, all, all you guys are doing is paying us money to beat a dead horse. In the city, the only thing the city was worried about was Mark Ryan setting a precedence. That's all they were worried about. Yeah, public enemy number one, Mark Ryan. That is, that is. That is. Oh, well, yeah. So I don't know. A few years ago, they did the big, you know, um, they, the Columbus Dispatch followed me around for a year, um, which, you know, honestly, it, it sucked. But I made some really good friends out of it. You know, uh, Lucas Sullivan and Michael Wagner, I, I consider them very close friends. They're friends of our family. I mean, heck, Mike has slept in my home. Um, Doral Chenoweth was our videographer and stuff. They're just great people. And they made it actually a very solid experience. Plus, I mean, for you and I, you and I's background, um, they did something that you and I couldn't do. I mean, I had people from Oregon um, sending me screenshots of the front page of their paper with the story in it. So, I mean, it really got the word of cancer and the impact of cancer across the country. But when the city was really trying to jerk me around hard, all I had to do was say, I'm going to do an interview tomorrow. In the city, be like, no, 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 no. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. And I'm like, I'm going to start name dropping people. I'm going to start doing direct quotes. And they're like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about this. Yeah, the the gloves were off. I mean, yeah, clearly. I, well, I, I, I was at the point. I was like, look, man, I will. I all I want to do. I told him. I said, all I want to do is retire, spend time with my family, and live as long as I can. That's it. That's it. I'm not going to go on some crusade. I'm not going to try to become you know, the next uh, Tony Stephanie and really be the space and go to Congress. I'm not doing that. I just want to disappear. And they were like, no, that's not good enough. I mean, I, I and I tell people too, Jim, they were, I honestly believe they were like, we're going to wait him out until he dies. Oh, I, I can imagine that. I mean, I don't I think honestly, that's, that's not far-fetched. No. I honestly think that was their goal. And, 
you know, when we were writing, when we were writing, so there was two bills that went through. Um, the Senate bill is ultimately what we pushed. We also had a House bill that was written with Representative Christina Hagan, which was a very, very good bill. And, you know, to be quite honest, the Senate bill and the House bill were I identical. Um, you know, I'd, I'd gotten to the point where I realized I'm like, I want to pin them against each other and see who's going to move first. And that's what we did. But when we were in the writing process of it and we sat down um, with the, the, the board who ran the pension system at that time, and there's firefighters on that board, uh, they sat there and argued. I mean, we argued for a whole stinking day over this. And I finally just dropped it on. I said, you know, what you guys are arguing about is, is you're arguing about life expectancy. I said, you want to write a bill that doesn't serve anybody because hopefully they die before they get to use it. And I mean, you should have seen the faces. The faces were like, I can't believe he actually said that. I'm like, that's exactly what you're arguing. Yeah. You're arguing expiration. You I want feel like people to die so they can't utilize it. I said the BWC, the BWC that was even in the room at that time, I knew more about their jobs than they did. I said, you people don't even know what you already have enacted. I said, do you know if the firefighter dies, his spouse still gets all the benefits? Well, that's not exactly true. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, huh. it was, it was, it was literally like a training session. You are not afraid of uh, the elephant in the room, are you? You just oh, put God, it out no. there. No. Put it no, right no. out it, there. My, my wife tells people all the time, if Mark thinks he's going to say it. There's the, <laughs> no no filter, right? No, I mean, it, it, you, here's the <laughs> thing, Jenny. You, you get to a point, you get to a point, we're dealing with cancer. We're not talking like, you know, um, let's think of another great firefighter disease, you know, erectile dysfunction. Okay, that's something you can live with. no. And we're not talking about testosterone. That was that was private conversation before all yeah. this. <laughs> no, but I mean, most most firemen they either go get testosterone shots or they have a pellet sewn in their butt, Check. whatever. You know, I mean, that's what we do. But we're not talking about something that's livable. We're talking about a life and death situation. We're talking about statistical data. I mean, data that is at this point in time almost forty to fifty years old that directly applies to still what we're doing today. Not only. And that's just from a firefighter standpoint. If we want to talk hazardous material, um, you know, in common materials that we're buying from Walmart and Lowe's every single day and what it's doing to regular individuals, all that data is out there um, and they can't argue it. So why are we sitting here, you know, twiddling our thumbs? I mean, the best thing you could do is put a bill into place. And anybody that sat down with me, I said, I don't even want to use the bill. I want the bill in place for those people who at this point in time are like me and missed the bus on prevention. But this is a great opportunity for you people to say, hey, we're gonna put this bill into place, but you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna require all these departments to step up their game. You need to have better physicals. You need to have better blood testing. You need to have more areas in which you are checking. We're not talking about just heart and lung. We're talking about dermatological. We're talking about prostate. We're talking about all those areas. Step your game up. Invest your money because a healthy employee is a cheap employee. But you know what? They don't want to do that. Yeah, I can see that. I know the, the state has at least put out that grant program to help with some equipment, yeah. which is more proactive than they've ever been. Yeah. You know, when I say the state, I say the state, BWC. Um, you know, speaking of screenings, I wanted to touch on this. Um, with your help, a couple of years ago, we were able to get um, three days. We had a, a dermatologist show up at our training center in the city, yeah. and yeah. and they, you know, it was it was voluntary, but anybody 
who wanted to get checked out, any their spouses who wanted to get a free skin exam, we made that happen. We had rooms separated. You can go in there. It was a, the whole thing was a ten minute process, and we yeah. caught some, we caught some things out of there. Oh yeah, it was it was great. Um, you know, a lot of us, you know, if we have insurance, we should be able to get a, a annual preventative check for Absolutely. our skin exams. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. so it's just, I always, I, you know, we're really big about this, this annual medical physical. And well, I also, I think it's part of that is like, you know what, that's great. Absolutely. But also do an annual skin exam and just stay on top of this. This is just a, this is what you have to do. Well, I'll, I'll tell you another horror story. Um, we have we have a family of firefighters local here, three of which um, have had prostate cancer. I mean, obviously, you could argue genetic. You could argue all three of them are firemen, too. So you could argue that. So there's a younger one, a younger one. And he's now I'm 38. So he's now 34. And he went in for his annual and he asked for a prostate exam and they refused him. And he said, look, man, he's like, my two older brothers, my dad, they all had it. I want to be ahead of the game. And he would still refuse. And even after he wrote a letter requesting to the city, he was denied. And I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, that to me is just strict common sense. And we don't place enough weight on that stuff. I mean, we're still pushing, we're still pushing lung and cardiovascular like we did when 80% of the department smoked two packs a day. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. I'm not saying it's not as important. It is important. But you also have to realize that, you know, there's honestly a a new devil in town and he's attacking us in worse ways. But they've yet I still don't think they've yet to completely grasp it. Um, You know, and you can throw them the numbers all day long. We did a very similar program in Columbus with the skin exam. And to this day, anybody in the area can go to um, the Skin Cancer Institute of Ohio. It's in Gahanna. And as long as they say they're a fireman, they will make. Uh, certain exceptions for that individual um, to be able to get them in and get them in faster and then they'll actually do a deeper exam but we had over 800 firemen go through um, that institute in one month period 30-day period over 800 firemen went through it and we had a 54 percent rating of guys who had a stage of skin cancer so over half of them had a form of skin cancer that's that's insane Oh, it is. It's absolutely insane. And, but <laughs> insane. the thing is, so melanoma is extremely deadly. Uh, you know, I, I'm stage four right now. I, you know, I'm a walking miracle. My doctors laugh every time I walk in um, because it is so deadly. And there's very few treatments that are very successful. But on the flip side of that, in early stages, it's extremely preventable. I mean, it's it's honestly, you know, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I mean, it's in one stage and it can be treated and you can live a very long life and never notice a side effect. And then overnight it flips and it's like, man, you've got a few months to live. I mean, so it's it's something so easy to prevent, so easily to detect, but yet they're not making, they don't give it enough um, credit for what it can do and what it is actually doing in the fire service. That's the saddest part. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, it's, it's everywhere, Jim. I mean, I, I spent a week in Wisconsin, um, while they were, when they were prepping for their presumptive, I went up there and sat with their councils and explained to them some things and showed them some tactics that are successful, uh, and connected them with some of the, uh, very noteworthy doctors we used. Um, but they're, they're fighting the same thing. I mean, and you know, you, 
they want to talk about skin cancer and they always, everybody wants to bring up the sun. You know, are you working outside without a shirt on? Are you wearing sunscreen? Blah, blah, blah. In California, that's always been a very strong argument and something they've struggled with. But dude, I'm here to tell you, in Ohio and in Wisconsin, <laughs> the sun don't shine that much. I mean, I hate to break it's, these it's three. It's like real. three weeks a year. I mean, come on, folks. It's it, middle of summer and our clouds are still gray. I mean, heck, my daughter is still surprised to this day when she sees the sun. She acts like she don't know what it is. So it's like, I mean, are you being serious, folks? Um, but that's the same stuff they argue left and right. And that's what they were dealing with heavily, heavily. Um, and even, you know, I, like I said, I've been all the way to San Francisco, California. And I sat down out there with a uh, cancer company that was designed uh, to really do in-home detection for firefighters. They really wanted to find a way to make it convenient and easy. And I sat with them. And even they could not understand um the threat of skin cancer like it, they just could not compute when you really break down the heat absorption rate to the chemical rate i mean when you start talking about what we do in a fire resistant you know uniform at the certain temperatures that we're doing it in what our body is doing they couldn't relate and understand like they they can't imagine that we actually run into a building that's 1600 degrees fahrenheit like to them that's just like nobody does that so when they think about it, they don't even, they never one time imagine that's what the environment's like. And, it, and until you can grasp your mind on that, it's really difficult to understand that these particles are soaking into your skin and then wreaking havoc. No, it's, yeah. Uh, you're not going to understand unless you're actually doing this. And, yeah, and, that's and all the individuals that do this, it's it's not necessarily a job. It's a calling. We're different people. Yeah. We're just different. Yeah. I, I wanted to go back and, and kind of start finishing up here. Um, I wanted to touch on your visit to Dayton a couple of years ago. Again, when we had all this, these skin exams being done in-house, um, Mark was able to stop by, and you know we, we were able to get uh, some media out there, and he helped out with that. But I also talked him into, like, hey, while you're here, I got a rookie class coming on. Uh, can you, would you mind talking to them? I've already okayed it. You're clear to go. Just talk to them, tell them, tell them what you're, what you're dealing with. And you came in and did that. And, um, I seen you a few times, but actually never in that setting. And that was, it was interesting. It's different. For sure. it's different. It is different. It is different. Yeah. Um, cause you know, at that time, like you can truly make, a difference with yeah. these firefighters and their lives and their families' lives decades later. I mean, you could be that, that impactful right then and there, that yeah. opportunity. Um, but you talked about, I don't know if you remember this. Um, you talked about your dad and you talked about how you, you still call him to this day. I mean, all the time to ask yeah. for advice yeah. and just, um, you know, and I, and I, you know, you're talking about that. I'm like, should I do the same thing too? Yeah. And you kind of summed it up. I don't know if you remember this. I, Cause I don't know if it was a one-off thing or something that you said a lot, but it was to me, it just hit me. He was like, you know, I may not be there to answer the phone for my kids Yeah. because of this. That's the only place I've ever, I've ever spoken on that. Well, that, that was some specific, deep shit that man. Specific to where I still, I still remember. I've ever said that. Um, people don't understand, you know, number one, I've spoken from state houses to symposiums at universities, 
Um, and, you know, they're all fine. I, I'm not going to say I enjoy all of them. But the only time I really get pure joy out of speaking is when it's a young group of firemen, whether it's the Ohio State Academy, whether it's Dayton's Academy, whether it's Columbus's Academy, Cleveland's Academy, where these guys are in there and they're about to embark on a dream. Because I, to this day, I have, my memory is horrible. It's horrible. But there are still moments in my life that are clear as day. And, you know, it's like being a young fireman, going through the academy, the excitement that I had, the joy that I felt, you know, being out on the street and all the things that I loved and a, a thing that I still love. Um, and it's been taken away from me. And I know that pain. Um, and then when you're trying to relay that to them and put that in a way they can understand it, because they can't understand it yet because they, they don't, they haven't been able to form the feelings that I have because they haven't lived it. So you, for me, it's important to try to make a connection with them. And most of us firemen are, we're family people. And, you know, I'll talk about my family a lot, but that was the one and only time I ever talked about my dad. Um, and I make that connection because I'm, and I do want them to understand who are my kids going to call? Yeah, and it's well, because and we're not, we're not taking ownership. So they have, they all those new guys. I expect two things from them. Number one, take ownership of your own career. And number two, be an advocate. Be an advocate, because at the end of the day, the only way we change this, Jim, is from a generational movement. That's it. Absolutely. You know, I think in that time, because you you could try to make this personable and you could try to make it about your kids and your wife and all that stuff. And when you're talking to firefighters at that age, they probably don't have any of that stuff. Exactly. They're not they're not thinking about that. But the way you relate it. With your father, again, my memory is shit too, but I remember that. I mean, yeah. and I, I, mean, I took that to heart. And, and maybe, you know, at this point, you know, I've got a three and six-year-old now. So, I mean, that's, that's impactful because that is something, I mean, I clearly worry about. Well, you think, you, you absolutely, and all of us should. I mean, you think about why we do what we do. Uh, obviously, we love what we do for a living, but most of us, you know, we, we try to create a better environment for our kids. And that's one of the reasons why I do call my dad. Dad, what mistakes did you make? You know, to this day, I still meet my dad once a month for breakfast. And we just talk life. And, and it's, all, it's all about, you know, doing him but better. And, and he even gets that, you know. And that's what these guys understand. Because it's, and you, we can talk strictly just dads. But at the end of the day, you know, what these guys realize is, is one day you're going to go from a rookie fireman to now an experienced old head. And now you're somebody's big brother. You're somebody's dad figure. You know, help them do it better. Um, and I'll be honest with you, Jim. I mean, the fire department, it still bleeds in my blood. You know, it still runs through my veins. And not just my veins, but my family's veins. I mean, our youngest son, he's going to be a fireman. He's dead set on it. has been a dream since he was a kid. And I will have these same conversations with him. I mean, he's going to the academy in a year. That's his plan. That's his goal. That's his life's dream. I don't deter it from him. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to do it better than I did it. I guarantee it. Absolutely. He's going to be aware of it and it's going to be personable yeah. to him. Yep. Um, and it's, that is very powerful that he's, he's, he's willing to do that. Oh, there's nothing that's, and he, he sat down with me and his mom and he said, this is what I want to do. Here's my plan. He had it all laid out. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. The minute I graduate from the Academy, I'm going to go to paramedic school and I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. And I said, buddy, I couldn't be more proud of you, but I'm telling you right now, 
the day before he starts that academy, we will have a very, very long conversation. And then what he's going to be held accountable by me. He'll be held accountable. I know the academy he's going to. He'll be held accountable by them. But ultimately, he needs to be held accountable by himself. This is, uh, you know, I always break it down when you're talking to rookies. And when you're talking about it, talking to other people as well, other firefighters. But for rookies, for sure, I stress how this is a personal responsibility. How yeah. that first day, that very first day in the firehouse, you can catch a fire. And the fire is going to go out. They all go out. But then it's going to be time for overhaul. And yeah. you're the kid. You're the kid. You're... Guess what? You got to be the first one in and the last one out, and you got to do that until the next kid is there. Yep. The choice could be made that first day in the firehouse when it's that situation. You gonna wear your mask? You're not gonna wear your mask. Yeah. When I was and and and, and I have to real quick. I just have to tell them like, you're gonna see people around you that aren't wearing their mask, but you need to. I just told you what you're going to be going up against. And I've just laid it all out to you. You have to make a decision now. And it's, it's the, you're, you're talking peer pressure. I mean, big time to, to, to ignore what that, that seasoned, salty, hard head. You said hard head firefighter. Yeah. Hard, all right. That's, that's a Columbus language. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm just the old school, salty firefighter that, that's yeah. got, you know, um, has been doing this for a while, you're, you're going to be doing the opposite. And that, that takes some balls to do something like that. It really does. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've given more talks at the Columbus fire Academy than any, or I'm sorry, not the Columbus state fire Academy than anywhere. Um, cause you know, they run so many classes a year and I tell all of them, the only time I would ever tell you to open your mouth as a new boy is then. I said, if someone comes up to you and tells you to get your mask off or tells you you don't have to put back on your bottle or your coat to go back in for overhaul, that is the one time where you can look at them and literally just tell them, no, thank you. I said, any other time, you shut your mouth and do what you're told. But that is the one time that you can say no, thank you. And I said, if a guy gives you shit, you call me. I said, I promise you I'll be at your firehouse the next duty day. I said, I (laughs) I don't care where you are. I promise you I'll be there. You know, and it's not, and I love old heads, man. Some of the old heads I work with and some of those salty guys I work with, dude, they, they, I have like 10 dads. I mean, I love those men, love them. Uh, but they are some of the dumbest, you know, (laughs) just set in their ways. I'm not going to change. And I get that and I respect them for it, but you know what? Times have changed and we need a, we need a smarter, we need a smarter, a healthier generation to come up behind this or you know what's going to happen gentlemen here to tell you cancer rates continue to go up we're already seeing it and you're going to see firefighter numbers keep coming down and to me that would be a nightmare it would be a nightmare because the fire department to me was my dream job it's all i ever wanted um and i'd hate to see it be diminished you know to something like that where you can't even get guys to do it it, it would just be horrible Man, we've covered a lot of ground today. I, I wow, I can't appreciate you enough to, uh, you know, you actually come on and share your story with us. Um, I did want to get you out of here, maybe hopefully on some lighter notes. Yeah. Um, I, it's, you know, let's do that. Those twenty-five random questions. Um, I need to sit down and probably come up with some new twenty-five questions. But regardless, that's not the point. Uh, I have a, a list here in front of me, numbered one through twenty-five. 
if you're taking notes at home, you probably could fill out this list yourself, the same list, because we've gone over about all of them at this point. But I'm going to let you choose your own fate. We'll do a few of these, and, and then we'll get you out of here. Okay. So, with that being said, what's your first number? 21. Okay. I like this one. And this is a little dated, kind of, because of the current digital mu- uh, media music uh, realm. But what's your favorite albums? Oh, man. Uh, my favorite album growing up was uh, the double-sided Beatles Apple album. Okay. I didn't expect that. Yeah. Again, I'm, I said, I told big, you earlier. I'm a, big, I'm a big vinyl fan. I think I told you before uh, before we actually started, I, I made the comment of that you're an old soul. And I that love is, vinyl. Yeah. That's that good. Nice. All right. What's, uh, what's another number? Um, nine. These are all my kids' numbers. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So I got five shots is what you're telling me. All right. Uh, yeah. All right. It's a little deeper. Could be deeper. Uh, how would you like to be remembered? As a good husband, um, good father, uh, man of faith. Um, and honest, you know, you know, it's funny is when I graduated the fire academy, it's a true story. My best friend, whoever, I was named Brian Murphy, still works the engine too. Uh, he's a brother. Um, when we graduated the fire academy, I just told him, I said, when I'm done, I just want people to say that Mark Ryan was a hell of a fireman. That's all I wanted. So hell of a fireman, good father, good family man, uh, and a man of faith. That's good. I like that. I think they'll say for, for me, they'll go, ah, Jim Bernica, he was a dick. (laughs) Sometimes, most of the time. All right. All right. What's next, Mark? Uh, 25. (laughs) <laughs> you go, all right, you're going to have to use your imagination and play with yeah. me a little bit on here. All right, let's pretend that you are, uh, and uh, it doesn't matter whether you're like an MMA fighter or uh, uh, well, UFC, that is yeah, uh, MMA, uh, wrestling, you know, boxing. You pretend you're one of those fighters and you're coming to the ring or the octagon. Yeah. What would your entrance theme be? Hell's Bells. All oh. day. Nice. All day. ACDC. That's that's good. All day. I like that. I I always like the you know the Ohio boy, the Rich Franklin coming out in UFC coming out for those about to rock. Yeah. Another ACDC classic, but it just kind of the whole idea like I'm about to kick ass. It's great. Yeah. All right. That's a good question. I like that one. <laughs> what? No. What? I'll add on to that. What's what sport would it be? Boxing, UFC, WWE. No, it'd probably be UFC because I, I probably could not kick. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, let's, let's do one more for the hell of it. Okay. Um, give me uh, number 17. All right. This is, this is a good one. I already know from your city what I would pick, but uh, favorite type of sandwich. Oh man, that's rough actually. Oh, you know, it's funny. I guess I can't pick, I, I can't pick Phillips because the Coney dog's not actually a sandwich. Um, that's all you know what? That's anything, funny you say that. Anything that's a whole from Thurman. Anything from Thurman's. <laughs> that was what I was going to say, by the way, is just yeah. a Thurman burger. But yeah, it, but any, number anything from there is good. But man, Phillips Coney dog. I, I don't, Jim. I do not eat hot dogs. My wife will tell you I do not eat them. But 
when I'm in the city and when Phillips was still there, I would we would always go over and grab two Coney's dogs. I mean, it's just the greatest thing. It's it's old. It's been around forever. It's just a classic taste, and they did it right. Nice. So, the funny thing, and nobody's picked this question yet. Number eighteen. Yeah. Uh, the question is: uh, Is a hot dog a sandwich? Oh no, that's, that's not. No. So, <laughs> actually, have that's that like on there too. Saying cheesecake. Cheesecake is cake. It's not. Cheesecake is a pie. Yeah. Cheesecake is not good. cake. It's pie. I miss cheesecake. This key should Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So there's a couple of the little conundrums. All right. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I should have that on here. I don't have yeah, that. Is, that is would Die be Hard good. A Christmas movie. Absolutely. I had I had somebody, we had this argument the other day, and they just said, it's not a Christmas movie. It's It just happens to have to be at a Christmas time of the year. No, he says Merry Christmas, pal. Like, no, it's Christmas. It's a Christmas I, I, movie. I'm with you. I'm good with it. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, right, I well, appreciate that. I appreciate all the listeners. Yeah, and I kept you on much longer than I thought I would, but That's I enjoyed okay, every second of it. Yeah, um, me too. I, I appreciate uh, everything you've done for the fire service and you don't get enough credit and you're not looking for the credit. That's a nice thing. But, but I know, I know what you've done and I appreciate you and uh, everything you've done and everything you're going to continue to do because these firefighters are going to be better off. Uh, They're going to be able to live longer and actually enjoy their retirement and, and be with their family, which if it wasn't for people like you, uh, you know, that's still going to, that would be more in jeopardy, but you know, you and I, a little bit more old school. We weren't, you know, taught this stuff to begin with, but we've both stepped up to where we're talking about it now. And the, the future generations are going to um, be better off because of that. Do you agree with that? Right. I can agree 100%. Perfect. All right, my friend. Well, thank you again for your time. Uh, thanks to all my listeners. Uh, again, uh, hit the subscribe button, leave a comment. Uh, if you will, and I'll see you guys next Tuesday. Take care.